Welcome to the Focus Forward Business Podcast from SturdyMcKee.com. Thank you for listening to the Focus Forward Business Podcast. I am Sturdy McKee. In Episode 2, I get to talk with Mike Eisenhart. Mike is an entrepreneur, a physical therapist, and is the former president of the New Jersey Physical Therapy Association. In this episode, we discuss Mike's entrepreneurial journey, his current projects, including growing his practice, forming and growing the Academy of Prevention and Health Promotion Therapies, his work with the American Physical Therapy Association, which includes a nominating committee, as well as the APTA's employer initiative that explores and advocates for direct-to-employer programs, and also a bit about the mysterious Graham sessions. I hope you will enjoy Mike's description of his father's drive-by business book drop-offs and how he had the proverbial entrepreneurial seizure, which led him to starting his first business. We also talk about employers' healthcare spend and how one-third of healthcare expenses are actually in musculoskeletal. Mike's mission is to help people through prevention and helping businesses reduce this huge expense through implementing cultural changes to promote healthier lifestyles, ultimately having an impact way beyond musculoskeletal conditions, including metabolic diseases and the problems that come with that as well. I hope you enjoy this episode, and as always, please let me know what you think, good, bad, and ugly, over at sturdymckee.com. This is Sturdy McKee. I'm here with Mike Eisenhart, a luminary in the physical therapy world, and we're going to uh, talk a little bit here. But uh, number one, thank you very much for, for being here, Mike, and talking with me. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Sure. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you, you agreed to do this. So by way of introduction, just starting us out, can you share a little bit about what your, what projects you're currently working on? Sure. Yeah. So I, um, I guess I always feel like I've got a million projects that I'm working on, but um, <laughs> the ones that are kind of top of mind right now for me, um, there's really um, three. So, the, you know, the first is, uh, of course, continuing to grow my practice and, and grow, you know, our, our sort of piece there. The second is, um, you know, something called the Academy of Prevention and Health Promotion Therapies. And what that really is, is, um, or APHPT, uh, for short, that, that's a kind of a collaborative that I've created or helped create um, of primarily physical therapists, but really interdisciplinary professionals who want to uh, change the way care is delivered and, and really emphasize and focus, you know, getting ahead of the curve, getting upstream, really trying to keep people healthy and out of the healthcare system and finding ways to do that and, and make a living doing it. Uh, and, and then uh, the third is uh, just sort of my work within the American Physical Therapy Association, which, you know, I'm on the nominating committee, so always looking for leaders. And also uh, I'm leading something called the Employer Initiative, which kind of fits in with everything I do, which is, is just trying to look at specifically the PT profession and how we can begin to advocate, um, you know, to, directly to employers and, and begin to be in that conversation a little more strongly. Oh, very cool. So, um, as far as your practice goes, was that well? How did you come to start Proactivity, and and what exactly do you do? Yeah. So the first part of that question is easy. Second part, you know, the the what do you do part. Uh, we'll we'll dive into that. <laughs> that's, that's harder. So the first part, you know, I had your classic, you know, if you're like an e myth guy, like I, I had your classic entrepreneurial seizure. Um, and ultimately, that is, you know, within six months of kind of starting out of school, starting uh, as a PT, I just kind of decided I could do it better than the person I was working for. 
um, which of course is like stupid and naive. And, and I guess it's what every, you know, uh, every entrepreneur with some level of bravado thinks. So I can, I can totally do this and I can do it better. Um, and it was, it started as kind of a negative thing. The, the guy had, you know, promised me a raise actually in six months. He had kind of started me low and said, Hey, if you work real hard, you know, I'll give you a raise. And, uh, and so I did a good job and, and we all agreed on that. It wasn't like ever, a, that was never in question. Um, and he just kind of said, because it was the time when the balance budget act, uh, you know, years ago was kind of, you know, introducing the therapy cap and all that other good stuff that was killing therapy jobs. Uh, he said, Hey, you know, times are tough. Just be happy you have a job. So I can't give you that raise, but you know, just be happy you have a job. I'll continue to keep you on. And I was pretty pissed, you know, like, I mean, you know, I was, a, I was sort of a bigger, stronger, higher level of testosterone version of myself. And, uh, and I just about threw the desk on him. And, uh, and so in, instead I kind of took a deep breath and I walked out of the room and my sister, who's also a PT and also worked at the same place. Um, you know, I just looked at her and I said, that's it. Like, you know, that practice we said we were someday going to start. Well, we're starting that practice. So, so we, uh, we both quit our jobs and, and did it. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was literally six months out of school, uh, and it's been kind of a, a roller coaster ever since. And when and when was that? How long ago was that? That was 1998. Okay, okay, so you're coming up on coming close up to on 20, 20 years. years. Con- congratulations, that's huge. Can you uh, delve in a little bit more though? Because I think you have a little bit different perspective about well, when it comes to your practice and what you're doing with it than most traditional practices. So can you share with us a little bit more about what you do there? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's completely fair. Um, that is how I usually describe it. If I've never met somebody or I'm meeting them for the first time and they say, so what do you do? You know, are, are you, you're a physical therapist. I said, well, you know, I have a non-traditional practice, you know, and then, then we kind of can like get into it. And so, so what we do is we really look at keeping people healthy. I mean, that's ultimately what it is. And, and, and I would almost go even further to say that, you know, I mean, we call ourselves a human achievement company. We really don't even call ourselves a physical therapy practice. You know, we, we believe that we exist to help our clients become and, and, and be the best version of themselves. You know, so, so very simply, our mission statement is stronger, happier people through better health. Um, and so it's really about stronger, happier people. You know, the health part of it just is, is the mechanism. It's the way we get there. And what that does is it kind of opens the door for us to do whatever is needed uh, for our clients at the time. And so, you know, although um, I, I don't do a ton of physical therapy treatment um, anymore, uh, we do have an outpatient part of our, you know, practice, an outpatient, traditional outpatient clinic. Uh, but we have a fitness side. We, we have a healthy cafe. We do quite a bit in the community. Um, we have a fairly robust nonprofit that we have, have initiated as part of this. You know, we really sort of view ourselves as a, a center sort of like in the community with the design of helping people live their best version. Um, and so, you know, officially, what do I do there? I, I lead that. And so that, that means you do whatever you need to do um, for the client. <laughs> right. No, very cool. So is was so was productivity really your first business? Is that is that how you began, or do you have a kind of a backstory to your entrepreneurial entrepreneurial journey here? I mean, I definitely have a backstory, not not a, a an official one. I mean, so in college. Yeah. And it's kind of like the the name of uh, even is where it came from. So in college, you know, my dad was like a big like um, you know like, like drive by business book dropper. Like I, I don't know how else to say it, but like you know, growing up in my house, you would just find a book on your desk 
Um, and sometimes it would have like the equivalent of a sticky note on it that would say like required reading, you know, and, and we would, we laugh about it to this day. You know, he was kind of like a business book junkie, um, you know, came from the, the corporate world and he would just keep putting these things on my desk. And, you know, and, you know, as a kid, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, dad, like I can't possibly cram another thing in my head. Why do you keep dropping this stuff? But, you know, one of the ones that he dropped on my desk was, you know, Stephen Covey's you know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And, and actually, he, he also kind of dropped, you know, at that time, and I'm totally dating myself, the cassette tapes version of it. You know, so, so it was like, you know, one of these plastic kind of sure, like books on tape. Book right. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I started listening to it on my drives back to, to UConn, to, to college. And, um, and that's kind of where the whole proactivity, you know, be proactive, that's where that came from, is one of that, those habits. Mm-hmm. So I was doing a uh, project that allowed me to do a business plan. That was part of our, our program. And so I said, yeah, I want to get into prevention and ergonomics. That was kind of where I saw my, my future. Um, and, and lo and behold, a year and a half later, you know, my sister was like, okay, I guess we're going to start this practice. I, I guess it'll be called proactivity. And I was like, oh, that's a great name. Why'd you get that? She's like, for me to report. Like, you, you totally chose it a year ago. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, don't you remember? So like, I didn't, I totally forgot that I had just, you know, stole it out of Covey's book and, you know, it was sort of the beginning of the internet so we could get the domain name and the whole thing. Oh, that's great. That's great. So as you said, maybe that, that was kind of your early business venture here, but you've been doing a number of other things. Can you tell us a little bit about the academy that you just mentioned, the APHPT? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. I, I am. Um, this is something I'm really excited about. So, you know, I think there's this version of the world that, that I'm really intrigued by, which is the, the open source kind of view. Um, and, and that is, of course, this idea of a collaborative that you know, people of like mind can get together and, and really do amazing things because they find purpose in it. Um, and so I had so many conversations with people over the last maybe like, I don't know, two to three years who are interested um, in this idea of prevention and health promotion practice, you know, what, what I call health-facing practice, um, that I just said, you know, we've got to do something to start getting these people together. So we literally created this kind of like online ecosystem for, for anybody, you know, to join. And what's happened, it's kind of evolved. You know, we've been doing it for now about a year. There's about 160 people, primarily PTs, um, who, you know, although sort of interdisciplinary is one of our main goals. What's cool is that it's sort of now broken almost into three levels, where you've got some folks who get on, and it's it's completely the open source approach. You know, they, they just want to, like, go in, join in, and just enter the conversation. And they, they do some stuff, and they develop some things, and they're, you know, they're kind of working almost like a, a GitHub, if you're familiar with that, version of health-facing you know facing practice. And then you've kind of got the next level, which is now, you know, owners primarily, but people who see this as a, as a business opportunity, and they'll say, hey, I really want to add this service to my existing practice, or I want to build a practice like this. And so they've begun to hire some of the, the folks from that ecosystem, you know, myself included a little bit here and there, um, to, to actually help them do that, to actually say, hey, this is what I've learned over the years, and this is how you can put it into place in your local market. So that's been kind of a really cool thing. Uh, and then a third level, where which, which we've just put a toe in the water, is other people who have kind of said, hey, Mike, like, I just want to replicate what you do. Like, I literally just want to, you know, build a proactivity. And, um, and that we haven't pulled the trigger on entirely yet, but, um, but you know, we've been kicking it around because it's, you know, that, that's a very different thing for us. You know, over the years, it's always been that we couldn't find therapists who, and, and professionals of all kinds who, who thought this way and saw the world this way. We just kind of thought we were crazy. But now it's, it's, it's coming around and people are starting to get it. So it's, it's super cool for us. 
So that connection has allowed you to see that you're not truly isolated, you're not crazy. And I think that's something a lot of entrepreneurs of that feeling of being alone, being different is in my experience anyway, it's very common. But yeah, if you absolutely. share as as you've done, you share you share your concept, your idea out there and you discover that, hey, there are a lot of other people like me. Has that been your experience? Exactly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, the, the, you know, there, there's, I don't know who officially said it, but the first time I saw it, it was like, it resonated completely with me that, you know, leaders are the loneliest people on earth, you know, and it's like, you're, you're out front and you're, you're pushing and you're pioneering and, you know, you're trying to push the envelope and push the conversation. And, and, you know, that's the hardest thing ever is to feel like, you know, you question it, like, what am I doing? How far, you know, what am I doing out here? Um, and so when you meet somebody, you know, who, who kind of gets that and shares that passion, and even if they're not perfectly in line with your version of it, you know, you can feed off that energy. And so, yeah, that was the goal. It's just find people who believe that, that, that keeping people healthy is better than treating them when they're sick, you know. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for that. And then as far as the APTA work goes, you mentioned that uh, working on the employer initiative, em employer initiative can be taken a number of different ways, but I think what you were saying was that there's an opportunity to work directly with employers who are, are you focused primarily on self-funded insurance, kind of employers with self-funded plans, that type of thing, or, or what does that mean? Yeah, well, I mean, so that, that's been my experience. That's kind of an easy starting place. So, so basically, as the as the healthcare world wants to move toward, you know, population health management type models, you know, value based purchasing, things where you're really just managing a whole group of people, and and again, trying to keep them, not, I mean, me personally, keep them out of the healthcare system as long as possible, but others would just say, hey, get the right care to the right person at the right time. You know, let's not try to keep them out necessarily. Let's just not force them in either, and and I think that's fair. So what's happened is is that PTs have really not had, you know, a strong foothold in those kinds of conversations. They just don't really know how to do it. You know, we're such a, uh, you know, we, we've always strived to be kind of one, one to one care or one to a few. Uh, we're just not natural thinkers of kind of, uh, you know, an engineered system, a way of keeping people, you know, like a whole herd of people going in the right direction. And so because of the work that I've done on the prevention and health facing side of things, um, my, my personal work you know, at Proactivity has really been focused on employers for, for most of my career in, in kind of doing that. Um, and so a lot of the same things that we now hear about as population health and population health management um, are the same things that we would, would, you know, would have just called, you know, working directly with employers, you know. Uh, we just never had a term for it, but that's ultimately what it is. It's, hey, I'm hiring you to keep my people, you know, healthy and out of the healthcare system, and how do we devise systems to do that? Not like wellness program kind of thing not not that really much more and although there's some value in some of those but but really more looking at the entire group of people and, and creating that sort of cultural undertone of, of health and and you know you know well-being so that was kind of where i've been pounding my fist for a while you know saying look like therapists hello like we've got to be in this space it's it's, it's valuable it's good work it changes lives and you can make a good living doing it um, and then a, a couple of years ago, uh, I literally was pounding my fist on the desk, and um, someone uh, from APTA, um, you know, of influence was in the room and kind of came up to me afterward and said, hey, you know, I, I've never really heard you get that fired up about it. You know, maybe, maybe it's time to do something, you know, a little more formal. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. And, and so they gave me a little team. 
and we've been working on it now for about a year and a half. And, and the goal really is twofold. It's one, to bring the acumen of the therapy community up, right? Like, like actually begin to get us closer toward, uh, you know, I don't want to say standard because I know that freaks everybody out, but a consistent way of doing this so that we're not just scattershot and have 8 million different versions of something that probably could be consistent and make us all look look good and, and strong. And then the other side of it is, is let the business community know, the, the larger business community, of course, is a starting place, but really anybody who's got, you know, a, a healthcare spend problem, which is essentially everyone. So, um, you know, let them know that we're really good at this and that we can, you know, both help their folks and save them likely some money. So, yeah, so it's been kind of a nice megaphone for me, and and it's it's starting to gain some traction, which is fun because there's been, you know, some upfront work. For those folks who might be listening who are not involved in, you know, not therapists and not involved in that industry, how how can, I mean, what, what are the benefits to, to working with, with therapists or a therapy group to help? with your building your culture of health and well-being for the employees. Yeah. Oh man. How much time do you have? So, so yeah, <laughs> about I'll, a couple of highlights. To... But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so, so we always kind of start at lo- looking at it this way, right? So, I mean, what we know as, as in the therapy world and, and, and I would just maybe even broaden it a little bit and call it conservative care, right? Let, let, let's include, um, you know, some of the, um, you know, primary care physicians and, and people who also sort of see the world that we, the way that we see it, that people who live healthier lifestyles typically do better in almost every aspect of life. Um, productivity in the workplace being one very critical one. So what's happening is businesses are starting to realize that they cannot compete at the level that they want to compete um, with a, you know, flailing sort of unhealthy failing workforce, right? So, so that's it, it's a it's a competitive angle. It, when when an employer looks at it and they really look at their healthcare expenditures, um, it is a massive part of their total spend, you know, their, their total expense line on their on their balance sheet. I mean, if you were to look at that, you know, some people have quoted it as high as the second largest cost after payroll. Right. So, so you start to think about that and it's like, wait a second now, you've got this ridiculously huge cost and you're probably not managing it real well. And so what we know is, is that the trajectory, the traditional kind of like method of using the healthcare system is exceptionally costly and slow. So that, that's a bad combination, right? It's like the most inefficient thing imaginable. And so what we look at is we say, well, if we get in there and we can deal with even the conditions that we know are in our wheelhouse, keeping people moving, you know, well, moving enough, you know, addressing their sleep, you know, keeping them well rested, you know, helping them understand how to recover from the day, how to manage and cope with stress, how to not have, you know, sort of negative coping mechanisms like um, that might lead to things like, you know, cigarette use and addiction of some kind, you know, maybe alcohol dependency. Um, All of those things, nutrition, you know, uh, connectivity, you know, engagement, all those things kind of factor in. And so when you look at that and you start to realize that a third or more of almost every company's overall claims data is, is musculoskeletal or movement related, it stops you in your tracks. I mean, there's nothing that keeps people in bed and out of work in the United States more than musculoskeletal conditions. I mean, it, it blows the other major conditions out of the water from that perspective. And so when you start to realize that and, and they start to look at this and say, wait a second, I'm paying fifteen to $20,000 per person per year for the healthcare benefit, 
and that's going to go up 6 to 10% every single year regardless if I do nothing. I've got to manage this tighter or it's going to put me out of business. When they start to look at that, they unfold it deeper and they say, and, and a major driver of that is, let's call it movement-related pain syndromes, you know, whatever, you know, kind of big bucket. Um, it's only natural then for us to start getting in there and kind of getting where the people, people are. So that's kind of what we, what we do, you know, get in there, get where the people are and help kind of slowly move the herd toward a healthier, you know, way of doing it. And even beyond just musculoskeletal, movement and healthier lifestyles impacts diabetes, obesity, heart, you know, cardiac conditions, all, all kinds of other things that might be outside of that one-third of the pie. Would you say that's exactly. fair? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, okay. you know, the, the, the metabolic disease, you know, kind of tidal wave, I mean, we, we haven't even begun to see how much that's going to hit us. And, and we could even go one step further even and say things like well-being, mental health, um, you know, productivity, presenteeism, I mean, all of those things. I mean, what we, what we basically now know, and, you know, and I don't say this, you know, to be crass, but, like, it's all the same disease, you know. Like, like they're just different mm-hmm. outputs of the same basic problem, and that is that, that people are just overrun. They just, they're just completely broken down. And, and, you know, and that kind of gets us back to the beginning where, you know, at least for us, our mission is stronger, happier people. I mean, that, that's really what it's about is that, you know, as you build a stronger, happier workplace, you get the natural output of less, you know, reliance on the medical system. And, and look, it's only going to get worse. I mean, yesterday the, the news broke that, you know, the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association are recommending to lower the guidelines for blood pressure medication, right? So, so a person who now has systolic blood pressure of 130, um, you know, the, the first line of defense is going to be traditionally medication, even though we know lifestyle would do better. Um, so, you know, you're talking about hundreds of millions of people who are now going to be on medication for the rest of their lives. And, and you know, I mean, what's the cost of that? So. When a lot of it could be managed through physical activity and, you know, as you you just said, building more of a culture of health and well-being for the employees. How So how do you go about influencing and moving the culture along? Yeah. So so that that is the sort of social dynamic um, theory um, that, that to me is really an un, underappreciated, I should say, uh, method. Um, you know, we, we know that health is a, is a cultural phenomenon. We know it's a social phenomenon. You know, it, it's translatable and it also, in a sense, is contagious. You know, it kind of, you know, our behaviors, uh, we learn them from watching other people in many ways um, and who we interact with. And so because you spend so much time of your adult life at work, those day-to-day behaviors, those little tiny habits that become your either quality of life later or your, you know, high productivity and output today um, are learned by just kind of the environment you're in. And that's both the physical environment, like how it's designed, and also the social environment, you know, sort of how people interact with each other. So we begin to look at that pretty early. Um, One of the things that we really like to try to do is is use, you know, what what some people might call like influence marketing strategies. It's the same basic idea. You know, you're you're just sort of Mm -hmm. trying to influence you know, key folks to begin to adopt a new way. So even though it's not like the diffusion of technology, I mean, it's similar. You know, if you if you called like, like let's say, you know, healthy lifestyle was the new operating system that you were trying to deploy at scale in an organization, how would you do it? 
um, well, ideally you just switch everybody over all at once, but we know that that would, you know, things would be blowing up left and right. And so, you know, you, you typically start with the pocket and you try to get them nailed down and like deal with the bugs and all the fallout. And then you kind of go to a next pocket and so on and so forth. So it, it's, it's almost like that. It's like, hey, we're trying to install a new operating system in the human brain in your work. You know, how are we going to do that? Yeah. Relationships primarily. Right. So you basically get champions, influencers on board, and then they influence behaviors of other people in the organization. Yeah. Yeah. And you go to the leadership and try to, you know, try to wrestle some dollars to, to do things that are going to make it easier to be healthy, you know, sort of like and make fun and engage. Yeah. 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 Make it the health, make it the easy choice. You know, I mean, again, like there are so many barriers to, to healthy behavior. Right. Um, and we have to kind of look at all of those barriers. And some of them are directly in the workplace and some of them are really outside. You know, it might be things like how do you engage in your community? You know, if you have a, a local plant, let's say, in your, you know, your neighborhood, whatever that is, you know, like how are they engaging with the world around them? And, you know, and, and, and I mean, the ripple effect is huge. So, you know, population health management people would tell you that, um, you know, health is, is a product of, you know, where we live, work, learn, and play. And, uh, and there's a lot to be said there. Oh, very cool. Thank you. So shifting gears just a little bit, you've, you've engaged in leadership in the association, physical therapy, the industry, and, and all for some time. What have been a couple of your favorite lessons from those experiences? What have you learned? Yeah, um, oof, I've learned a ton. Um, you know, I, I guess probably, you know, I, I say this somewhat facetiously, but it, it doesn't matter how hard you, you know, or how loud you yell and scream until you get a group of people around you who, who, you know, sort of get your passion and are action oriented, nothing's going to get done, you know? So, so that's a, you know, that, that's kind of one of the things that I've learned is that, you, you know, you almost, there's an infrastructure for getting things done and it's a social infrastructure. Um, and so building, you know, the connections and, and taking the time to build relationships with, with people who, you know, share similar passions or, or even how do you help them succeed, those kinds of methodologies, they seem to go a really long way. The other thing is I think I've learned that people really, they really respect, you know, purpose-driven leaders, you know, people who, who, I mean, you know, I've had some, I've had people say to me like, you know, Mike, you only have like one song that you sing, you know, like you have one thing. And that's like, yeah, like I have one year and it's only that. It's, it's how do we keep people healthy? That's the only thing that, you know, that I care about. Um, everything else is kind of background noise to me. Um, and, and they say like, you know, wow, like we know where to go to when we have a question related to that. So that's been a really interesting thing for me that I always thought that was kind of boring and like, you know, like, oh God, you talk to Mike, you're going to have, you were forced to talk about vegetables, you know, um, whereas <laughs> it's, it's been appreciated, you know, they've kind of said, hey, that's, that's been cool, you know, so, yeah. Well, sure, the people who want to talk about vegetables. Yeah, everybody else is going to come the other here. Way. <laughs> right. Either that or they're looking over yeah. my shoulder to see, like, hey, he ate a burger. Like, oh, my God. Well, well, right. I mean, even a plant-based diet doesn't mean it's nothing but it's plant-based, right? So, um, yeah, no, I, I like what you're saying about purpose-driven leadership. And then the other, the, you know, having that group of people, that, that reminds me of the first follower phenomenon. Are you, are you familiar with that or seeing that video? Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Okay, good. I'll, I'll make sure to have a link of that here too, because that was a, a fascinating thing for me. Basically, the one of the premises is that you're not really leading until any until someone follows. Um, 
but then once the first follower comes, then uh, there's a cascade event that happens, and I'll, I'll share that, that link here too. Now, you've been a big proponent for the uh, APTA private practice sections, uh, GRAM sessions, which is kind of a little bit of a, a not really a secret gathering anymore, and you've been on the planning board as well, I, I know. But can you tell us a little bit about GRAM sessions and then what about that coming together of, of, of people inspires you? Yeah, sure. So, so GRAM sessions is something that, um, that I'm, I've been kind of excited to be a part of over the years. Um, it, it, you know, the idea of it is it's a safe place to really debate some hard issues, you know, and, and so in a sense, I mean, I, I really respect that as a concept, you know, that we have to have times that we can get out of the public's eye a little bit and, you know, and not do it over Twitter because that's going to, you know, uh, be out there kind of airing dirty laundry at times. But, but sometimes you have to have hard debates and you have to have the passionate conversations. And so Patrick and Steve and uh, and Drew, they all kind of decided that, hey, let's create a mechanism to do that. So that's kind of the idea of it. You know, as you say, it, it's a smaller group because there's some level of intimacy required. You know, the, the bigger the group, the more intimidating it is to get up and kind of speak your mind. So I think they, you know, the, the hope was to keep it small enough that there was never, you know, you never crossed that threshold. And for me, I think the thing that inspires me when it happens, because it doesn't always happen. I'll kind of give my asterisk there. It doesn't always happen. But, but when it happens, when a person gets up and, and they kind of lose themselves in the moment and they really just let it fly, like I have a tremendous, you know, respect for that. And, and so the, the tricky part, of course, is you can't always predict it. So there are some years where I've said, man, no one really got up there and just let it fly. And, and, you know, it doesn't bother me, like, someone gets up there and every third word is, you know, an, an F-bomb, and they're, you know, they're, they're just so fired up. Like, I, I love that stuff. I want to talk to them all night long, because I feel like that's really tapping into something. There's a, a passion, a purpose, like, whatever. Some years, it's a little bit, um, you know, a little, a little less of that. You know, people sort of are, are, it almost feels like they're concerned about what other people in the room think, and, and so, you know, it leaves something on a table for me. But but that's really what I think is the thing that fires me up the most is, you know, when, when a tough issue comes up and people are willing to say, listen, I'm just going to give it to you from the gut. Um, because, I mean, look, that's how that's how we all make our own opinions and inform our own, you know, our own leadership is by hearing others and taking it into account without judgment. And when you say Patrick, it's Patrick Graham for whom the Graham sessions are named. Yep, Patrick Graham. Steve Anderson. Yep, Steve Anderson and Drew Bosin. Great, thanks. So you we kind of touched on this earlier too, and I think the you know what you're saying with the Graham session serves us a little bit too. But for for business owners and entrepreneurs out there who are feeling alone or even isolated, is there any advice that you would offer them? I mean, link up. That's definitely the you know. I mean, so so you know, there's that that saying. I don't. I, I think it might be originally biblical. I'm not sure, but like the whole idea of you know, like uh, lanterns in the dark. You know, like 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 finding those people in the wilderness who are also out there trying to find their way and and, and linking up. Um, I, I think that that's that's pretty huge because that really does allow you to both push yourself, learn things. I think there's a nuance there. You know, it, it's hard to sometimes not feel threatened. And so I, I got some advice from somebody years ago who, you know, was a, started as a patient of mine, but someone who I really respect because he's built a nice business for himself. Um, and he basically said, like, listen, find people who are at your own peer level. Like, don't shoot too high with the people who you want to get close to. 
because their problems are, are going to be not your problems. They're not going to understand where you're coming from because they've already crossed that hurdle. And you're not going to understand where, where they're coming from because they're, they're a little far out ahead of you. You know, find people who are kind of at your, you know, your part of this journey, your, your milestone, and, and really get in close with them because you'll spend, you know, all day and all night with those folks and everybody will win. I really love that advice. I mean, that, you know, having your kind of tight group of people who you can go to and, and they know, like, they're going to take you warts and all, man. Like, you're, you know, what, whatever you're bringing to the table, like, Mike's head's going to explode. Don't worry, Mike, we still love you. Like, that kind of, <laughs> that kind of folks. Like, to me, you've got to have those in your life. Otherwise, there's no way you're going to stay in the game long enough to actually win. And how do, how do you find those people? How, how do business owners find others when, you know, they're, Family, friends, other people are are not, but people they, their current network perhaps isn't in the same situation, the same boat. So I uh, I don't have a clear answer on that. I can tell you how how I feel like I've gotten closer uh, to that, and that is just like just keep having conversations. I mean, it, you know, it's surprising how you know how many times I've had just a a conversation with somebody or, or, or wound up kind of just chatting about something. And then it's like, it clicks and you just get it. You know, I don't know if it's like just their, their brain connects to yours somehow, but like, I mean, look, you know, how, how did you and I meet originally? Right. I mean, like we just eventually were in the same place at the same time, had a conversation. We're like, wow, you know, that guy's sturdy's pretty damn smart. I, I'd like to talk to him more. And, and, you know, so I think that's the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, that I do. And I, I don't know, it, it probably means that 99 times out of hundred people are like, God, that guy's a freak. You know, but but that's one out of a hundred. You know, I was going to say you're was flattering, except that yeah, it's the one out of a hundred. The rest are kind of like, oh man, I don't want to, <laughs> don't want to do that again. Like I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. And I guess that's um, something like, uh, you know, and it doesn't always happen, but that I guess in the old days or way back, that used to be more of where uh, you know I, I saw Twitter as a tool for that too, because you had kind of this unfiltered conversation dialogue that you could, you know, start to meet up with people and then connect in real life, you know, at conferences, at, at things. You used to be very active there, too. Is that, has that kind of shifted or changed for you? It has a little. I mean, it has a little for me. Um, you know, I, I really like thoughtful debate. And, and you know, I, I find it, like, I, I like people to challenge ideas. Um, Twitter, to me, unfortunately, um, has almost become, like, unthoughtful debate. Like, it's just debate for Devolved debate. a little bit. Yeah, and, like, I, I have a hard time with that. So I, I have pulled back a little bit, I found. You know, and, and I guess, but I do really appreciate that that concept. I mean, many, many times that's, like, you know, like, oh, my gosh, you're a real person. Like, you know, it's cool to meet right. you, you know, like, like just people who you wind up sharing, their, you know, similar ideas with. So I, I, I really like Twitter. Um, for, in my mind, what it does is it goes through, you know, the greatest media channel on earth and, and circles and highlights for me. It, it essentially comes back to, it's my dad dropping things on my desk again. You know, like, that's really what it is. It's like, mm -hmm. hey, we just went through and clipped out all the articles you care about, and here they are. <laughs> you know, like, wow, that was awesome. Um, so, so I really like that. Um, and, and I also, I guess, like the fact that, you know, being out there, people know they can reach out anytime. Um, you know, because they just tag right. you or whatever and, and try to hit back. So I, I like that as a medium, but I have pulled back a little bit just because um, sometimes I think there are just people out there just trying to be adversarial, and I, I just don't see the value there. Yeah, making it more about themselves or the 
rather than, than the, the ideas, the concepts, the discussion. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Thanks. Thanks for that. I just want to say thank you very much for talking with me today. Really appreciate your insights and ideas and, and all the things that you've shared with us, some of the stories about your about your dad, just the, the drive-by book drop-off is <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> um, but stimulating ideas, and I hope that you've been able to do some of that too for the people listening today to get some ideas going, get some thoughts going that they then use and, and value going forward. I appreciate it, Mike. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'd like to extend a big thank you to Mike Eisenhart for sharing his experiences, insights, and thoughts with us today. You can reach Mike over at proactivity.com. That's pro-activity.com or on Twitter at Mike Eisenhart. Thank you for listening.